0: Jim Paris Live, your source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness.
1: And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right. Welcome to our guest segment. I want to set this up a little bit before I bring Randy Williams on here. And uh, I know he's going to have some great insights on this. My daughter, who is in her 20s, uh, I saw her today and I said, uh, hey, Faith, uh, Are you and your friends following the Gabby Petito case? And she doesn't watch the news much. And, you know, most of her friends are pretty much, you know, they're not really into the news. This is kind of an age group that's not big into the news. And she immediately said, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm watching the case. All of my friends are watching the case. This is very interesting for a lot of different reasons. And in particular, young people are watching this very closely. And let me just set this up for you. Uh, Gabby Petito uh, disappeared on August the 27th while she was on a so-called van life trip across the United States with her fiance, Brian Laundrie. Now, if you're not familiar with what this van life deal is, this is now a thing where a young couple uh, will save up money. Uh, They'll purchase a van and convert the inside of it. So that it can kind of serve as both, you know, transportation as well as a, a small, you know, living quarter. So it's kind of like a camper that they they build out in the back of it. And uh, some people do incredible jobs converting these. Others just throw a mattress in the back. Uh, so, you know, it's it's, uh, you know, from one person to the next. Uh, but uh, so they go on this trip planning for four months. They're going to be on the road uh, as as a couple, uh, you know, engaged couple and uh All of a sudden, things aren't going well. There is uh, an incident that occurs on a highway. Uh, The state troopers are called in. Uh, You know, it's classified as a domestic violence uh, disagreement. Make a long story short, uh, the next thing we know, uh, Gabby Petito's remains are found uh, in the uh, Teton National Forest in Wyoming. Uh, There's also a lot of, you know, kind of funny business going on with uh, Brian Laundrie's family who uh, are not speaking to the police. There seems to be some misdirection about uh, them even maybe giving uh, allegedly wrong information about where their son might be or might be hiding out. Uh, The death has now been classified as a homicide. Uh, the FBI is involved. Brian Laundry is now the number one uh, and only suspect in the case. And it continues to grow in the media, including today's announcement that now Dwayne Dog Chapman, uh, Dog the Bounty Hunter, is now involved in searching uh, for Brian Laundrie. It is incredible. And uh, joining us is our friend Randy Williams. He's been in law enforcement for many years, private investigator, bodyguard expert uh, on martial arts, super fascinating guy. And also the guy who cracked the world's most famous cold case, the Jack the Ripper case. And if you want to read all about that, it's in his book, Sherlock Holmes and the Autumn of Terror, which you can get on amazon and we'll talk a little bit more about his book towards the end of the interview randy good to have you with us again sir hello randy can you hear us oh no i don't i don't hear randy uh randy what i'm gonna do is hang up with you how about now oh yes yes i got you i got you Perfect.
0: Okay. Sorry. Little, little glitch there. No worries. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So
1: I don't know if I did a good enough job uh, in setting that up uh, or not. Um, There's so many things about this case that bother me. And maybe the biggest thing that bothers me is how the family is behaving. And I've told all three of my children. Do not come back to this house if you've committed a crime looking for me to cover for you. Uh, I love my children more than anything, but I will not be that parent that, uh, you know, hides bodies in my basement or come in and, and wash the blood off and let me give you some money to run to Mexico. I am deeply disturbed right. by the attitude and actions of Brian Laundrie's parents.
0: Yeah, you know. There's even been parents. Well, depends on your opinion on cases like, say, John Benet Ramsey, where the parents may have gone to extremes to cover for a child's crime. Um, in this case, the, you know, they seem to think that there wasn't a crime and they're they're more concerned with finding their their own son and not so much with what happened to Gabby, as I understand it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it would it would be more helpful in my view, if they were more forthright about it, there, there's so many questions about the parents. You know, uh, there's several days that passed and they uh, they all went together on a camping trip. I don't know how many 23 year olds go mm. camping with their parents. <laughs> that would be the last thing I'd ever want to do. At 23 years of age, oh, wow. going to go camping with my parents. So that whole story to me sounds a little bit weird. Uh, but uh, in any case, any, any more thoughts on that before uh, we switch to uh, my next question?
0: well i i would say that their behavior um would seem to be covering up a crime because you know obviously most people like yourself would go way out of their way to try and, and help the police in every way possible and be as cooperative as they possibly could and, and be transparent uh rather than making themselves look so guilty um they don't seem to be concerned with what actually happened to gabby they're more concerned about their own son. I mean, granted that's, it's their son and and they should be concerned about it, but not to the exclusion of of trying to help in the investigation to, for Gabby, you know, that, that's, that should be the most important thing to them right now, or at least the second most important thing.
1: Yeah. And then if we look at uh, the circumstances of, from what I understand, this van is actually owned by Gabby, uh, Petito, um, so all of a sudden, mm-hmm. the van comes back with Brian, but no Gabby, and we also know that mm-hmm. there were large amounts of money also accessed off of her uh, credit cards. So right, just, right, and on, on her trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so just that exactly. uh, that alone raises a ton of red flags. Like if you are in love with a woman. Whether she's your fiance or girlfriend or, you know, even just someone, you know, I mean, just a person that's another person that you care about. The idea that you would travel back uh, home thousands of miles away without that person that was with you on that trip and along the way be like accessing all of their financial accounts. I can't think of anything Uh, more indicting in terms of his actions. Right. I mean, wouldn't a normal person just be like, I am not leaving till I find her. I'm going to call every law enforcement. Exactly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I can to find her. I'm not even thinking about eating or money or any of that, no less returning back home with her van, accessing her bank accounts.
0: Yeah, and how about I call the cops immediately instead of waiting for someone else to do it? You know, we could say, you you touched on the fact that, you know, he, he took her van. He used her credit card. You know, he was on her trip. Those are kind of financial or economic signs of what they call coercive control, where, where a, a partner, you know, I, I think I'm, it's fair to say it's usually the male, but it's not always the male, um, abuses the, the other partner in some way. And, and a lot of times it's financial. It's not just, you know, the typical uh, – Cowing of the, of your partner, say of the woman, and the sort of physical abuse that, that then leads to, uh, let's make up, let me, let me treat you really well, let me give you some really loving behavior to bring you back to me, and then let me punish you again. Uh, a friend of mine compared it to sort of the way some people might abuse an animal, and, you know, how a dog will just always come to you no matter how much you kick it or abuse it, they say. I've never done those things to a dog, but, you know that that when you then pet them and give them a treat they they want to believe that you love them and and those are the the typical signs of course of control but financial and economic abuse is actually a sign of that just the fact that he would feel entitled to just take her van and use her credit card and and not report her missing to the police you know that's that's a sort of a a behavior that that goes along with that sort of coercive control idea.
1: Yeah, a lot of people aren't familiar with the idea of coercive control, and it's not really the same thing as Stockholm Syndrome, but it's not far away from that. Um, You know, and and a lot of times... Course of control can be something, um, like, for example, I know sometimes within strict religious families, uh, you know, a husband can be overly domineering and then say, Hey, I am in charge because the Bible says, and, you know, even physically abusive, uh, to their spouse. Uh, we've seen that. Uh, course of control could also be, uh, just shaming someone, just saying, Look, uh, if you don't do what I say, then I'm going to expose this, this secret about you. But in relationships, they're like this. It, there seems to be sort of a, a power struggle. I don't know what you made of the 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 video. I watched the entire body cam video mm-hmm. uh, of the stop. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Brian Laundry. he seemed like overly deferential to law enforcement. I mean, I'm always if I get oh, yeah. pull, if I get pulled over, I'm like, yes, sir. My hands are on the steering wheel. I'm carrying a concealed weapon. Mm-hmm. You know, I I'm I'm Mr. Uh, I'm a gentleman, but I'm not as nice as Brian Laundry was. I mean, he was so nice. It was kind mm-hmm. of suspicious. I mean, he apologized right, four, exactly. or five, four or five times if he might have been speeding. He yeah. doesn't know if he was, but but please forgive me if I was. I'm really, really sorry. It just seemed like well, that over bump, the top. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, you know, and again, as we're talking about coercive control, you notice right from the beginning of that video, she takes the blame. You know, she's, she's trying to take... The blame for this, you know, the, the speeding or the hitting the bump or whatever. Oh, I was distracting him, and and that's typical. A person that would recognize a victim of course of control might have seen that. You know, they they instead of looking at her, they they check him. They start looking around his body, his arms. You know, they it seems that they thought he was the victim. You know, and yet if they really understood uh, course of control, which by the way I'm no expert in it, but you know as I see it. You know, she's the one crying, she's distressed, you know, and she's taking all the blame and she's trying her best to keep him out of trouble, you know, and, and he kind of blames her, too. So the cops might have might have been able to see this. I mean, it's easy to Monday mo- morning quarterback it, but they did possibly have a chance to prevent it. You know, he, he's he's over there, like you said, overly friendly and lying to them and they're they're buying it, you know. He's he's over there joking with them, and she's sitting in the van by herself, not even hearing probably this conversation. And he's there over there joking with the cops, you know, and and they they seem to be kind of sympathizing with him. So he he was manipulating them even at the scene. Yeah, and you just wonder too. Uh,
1: you know, one of the things I do, and I know you do as well. We're both martial artists. We both teach women self defense which is so important in our mm-hmm. society mm-hmm. that all women learn how to defend themselves. But, you know, you wonder why women stay in these kinds of relationships. And I don't mean to in any way blame the victim in this case, other than to just say to all women listening, uh, you know, there, there, you you have to demand more. Of a man that you're thinking of spending your life with, and I, I always say, look, if it starts like this, I mean, if if you're if you're if you're only together a few months, and, and there's you know the police are involved, and you know people are you know you're hitting him or he's hitting you, this is not meant to be. I mean, this is you know maybe if you're married for a number of years and there are children, you try to maybe work through some issues, but. Uh, look, if these are things are happening early on in the honeymoon stage, get out.
0: Right. Yeah, I, I feel that way. When whenever uh, women start to beat me up, I immediately <laughs> run. <laughs> yeah, you know. But no, it's, it's, seriously. You know, you're right. And people find that that someone with low self esteem, which could be a beautiful young girl or a handsome guy, or it, you know, just because you you would outwardly look to be very successful and handsome and whatever. Uh, it doesn't mean you don't have low self esteem. That's that's a very common thing, and and so look at all the the suicides we we see happening in in the world, and we right. we always say, well, gee, why would that person ever kill themselves? We would never imagine that they might have low self esteem to the extent that they'd want to kill themselves. Right. So I think there's predatory people, and they look for uh, look for that quality, you know, in a mate, and they exploit it once they find it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now in in this case. There's so much here beyond just that the girlfriend is found dead. Um, in, in law enforcement, it typically the first person you look at is the significant other, the husband or the boyfriend. Isn't that right? I mean, without regard to all these other well, factors, do you typically look first when there's a missing spouse at the husband or a missing girlfriend? You look at the boyfriend
0: Well, you know, yes and no. I mean, we all, uh, you know, everybody that watches crime shows is already answering the question for you. And they're all saying, yes, we start with the spouse and we work our way out, you know, because that's what they say on every one of these shows. You know, yet guys that work on these cases tend to say not really, not necessarily. It's not to say no, but it's, you know, this person could have been abducted by someone who had a fetish, you know, loved her this in this case she's a sort of a minor celebrity and it could be somebody that was stalking her had a fetish for her. So what's very important as an investigator um you know it was important to me even in the in the Ripper case you you have to investigate based on the circumstances and the evidence wherever it leads you. You know you can't assume, you know the old saying about assuming. You, you can't have blinders on. You can't be wearing blinders and just immediately say, well, let's look at this guy. You go where the evidence takes you because you may be wrong. So it, not to say that it's not a good idea. And of course, they're going to get looked at because they are close to her. And the circumstances n- may put them, you know, right there. And, and of course, you're going to then look at them. But it isn't necessarily, well, let's immediately call the spouse or the, or the boyfriend.
1: Now, what do you think the effect is of all of this publicity, even to the f- to the point now that we've got dog? The bounty hunter is knocking on the door of the family's home. That was I saw that mm-hmm. video today. Uh, uh, some people have said he's just trying to get publicity. Uh, you know, I don't know, dog, but I've watched the show a few times. Yeah, I think I think yeah, he yeah. I think he means well. And who knows, you know, I I think he's got a reputation of he gets his man or his woman, but he always Mm -hmm. seems to do so in a in a caring way. Like he wants to give him a second chance and a chance to. And so maybe he thought the family would be willing to, like, let him be like a a middleman to, like, bring him in safely or or something like that. So 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 I I think he could have meant well. What do you think?
0: that, that, That may well happen yet. I think that he is meaning well. I mean, I don't think he needs the publicity. I think that on this note of publicity, you're asking initially, do you think this is going to help or in some way maybe help with the investigation? And I think absolutely it will because, you know, murders don't always get solved like in the first 48 like you'd see on TV. You know, that's, that's nice when it happens. But sometimes it takes years for a witness to come forth um, you may you may get DNA sample from somebody once is maybe cell you know, talks to the cops and gives that information months, years down the line. And then that DNA may take months to come back to you. And so it's not necessarily this first 48 thing. I think, though, that all this publicity there, it, it could go both ways. Um, what it's what it's doing is it's making it hard for this guy to hide anywhere because the billions of people that are watching this case like hawks are, you know, in Mexico, in Italy, in Germany, all over America. And and so there really isn't anywhere this guy could show his face that people wouldn't recognize him. And I think that in that respect, all this publicity helps a lot. It also, like anything else these days, stirs dissent, because you're going to have a certain element that is going to say, well, how come this, you know, young white girl uh, being missing is so important as compared to all of these Women of color that go missing, indigenous and women of, of color as I don't know, if, I guess that's the right thing, the right way to put it. I'm not really sure. But people have a tendency to turn it into a bad thing. I mean, it's a bad thing, obviously, that it happened, but the the publicity that it's getting. Has got this backlash, you know, effect too, where people are saying, well, why does she get all the attention? Right. It, it is interesting how these
1: cases, though, the, the media seems to pick certain cases like the Natalie Holloway case or going back to like uh, right. John Benet Ramsey. Um, but the other side mm-hmm. of it is that I have heard from law enforcement is that sometimes if a case gets to be too big in the media, they get so overwhelmed with with tips from people thinking they saw the guy or thinking that they, Mm -hmm. they know something or, or have information that there's so many calls coming in so many hits on their website that they can't make any sense of any of it. It, It's just overwhelming.
0: You know what? That's probably very true. And, and like a lot of high profile murder cases or or crimes um, there somewhere in that huge haystack is an actual clue that would actually take the cops But they'd have to filter through so many to get to it that only after the case is is solved will the person who put forth that clue say, look, I told the cops that five years ago or five months ago and they didn't act on it. And that's probably why they didn't act on it, because it was buried among so many other clues. However, better that as an investigator, I'd rather be inundated than not have anything to go by. And I think this guy, he's not a sophisticated criminal genius. He's no Professor Moriarty, you know. He's he's gonna if he if he is in fact still alive, which I'm pretty sure he is, um, I think he's gonna make a mistake. He's gonna think he's smart, because obviously he thinks he's smarter than he is, and he's gonna go out, you know, to some cantina in Mexico or something, and everybody's gonna spot him. And he's gonna be busted. And that'll be, I think, directly related to the fact that this case has gotten so much publicity.
1: Yeah. And I know that one of the theories is that he is uh, in Sarasota County in this like heavily wooded marsh area, which the police have thoroughly searched that with dogs. They've used infrared uh, cameras from helicopters. I don't think he's there. I I think that's honestly a diversion.
0: That was a red herring, probably. Yeah. You know, and, and maybe even his parents. Um, helping to keep that sort of myth alive while well, meanwhile i mean they may be funding him to, you know to to go to another country he may be have been already long gone way before they sort of push the cops in that direction so if they are in fact you know, harboring him in some way supporting him in his flight um, their love and the fact that the cops are, are wasting their time um, i mean it, it's not a waste because you have to check that that's the the last place we know that he, he was we know for sure he was the rest of it, we don't know. So it would be remiss in your duty not to thoroughly search that. But I think at a certain point you'd have to say, "Let's be realistic here. We'd have found him by now. You know he's not Rambo out right. there surviving, you know, in the in the swamp.
1: Another theory that's being thrown around is the Appalachian Trail. Uh, which, you know, begins in the Blue Ridge Mountains in the north part of Georgia, goes all the way up, uh, I believe, to the state of Maine. And supposedly he survived like a couple of months at some point in the past on the Appalachian Trail. And he knows the Appalachian Mm -hmm. Trail and that he might be out there. But again, uh, to me, now that that's been announced, I I don't know. I highly doubt that that's where he would go, knowing that that's, a place people right. would look for him, even though it is a large, but all these area. armchair
0: sleuths. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's all the armchair sleuths looking into the case and I'm sure they they all went running there. Or a lot, a lot of them did. So, you know, the, the technology today, I mean, you, you just, it's just, you can't just disappear these days. It's very difficult. You need resources. You need money, you know, with Facebook, the high profile nature of this case, it's hard. It's going to be very hard for him to hide anywhere. If, in fact, he's still alive, um, even he's not going to be able to stay on the Appalachian Trail or or the swamp or anywhere for, for an extended period of time. Nobody can. Nobody nobody could or would. He'll give up. You know, it, it'll. it's just a question of time. If he's suffering and he's living, uh, you know, in a cave or something like that, he, he's not going to last that long. Um, if he's, you know, uh, on the uh, Ivory Coast somewhere, if he's on the French Riviera living it up, he might last longer, but he still will will be spotted by one of these um, the people that are following the case, you know, somewhere in the world.
1: Now they've already uh, searched the home and all the electronics and all of that, but that doesn't rule out like burner phones. I mean, if there were you, they were using burner phones to communicate, there would be probably no way for law enforcement to know about that. Um, is, is do you think that if the family is helping him, that the law enforcement will figure that out some way? like it, it oh, could it be that oh, the yeah. house is bugged or are they closely monitoring their financial bank accounts to see if any money you know, goes anywhere?
0: All of the things that you mentioned and that you could think of, you know, they're doing. I mean, it's easy to track down fugitives now. Um, f- first of all, you know, there's there's a lot of technological advantages that the police have now. I mean, besides pinging their phones, there are are many and there's some that actually law enforcement wouldn't really even want to have discussed because for that matter, the kid could be listening to this program right now and say, oh, I didn't think of that. So you, you almost don't want to give away everything that you have. But there are many technological advantages that the cops have these days that, you know, pinging the phone is only one of them. And so we, you, we don't want to t- maybe totally give away everything, but think about it. You know, there's a footprint. You've got a footprint everywhere you go. When you log on, you go to your Facebook. This guy's a narcissist. He, he's going to find a way or try to find a way to, to log into maybe his Facebook or Twitter or one of these. And there's ways to backtrack that. So believe me, the, the guys, like I said, he's, he's not professor Moriarty. The guy, if he's, if he hasn't jumped off a cliff somewhere Then he's going to get found based on some of this technological uh, sleuthing that's being done these days.
1: Let's say that he's got five thousand dollars in cash, and Mm -hmm. he's basically playing this uh, like this is how. If I were in his circumstances, I would probably be thinking like this: like, okay, I need to stay in hiding long enough. for this story to come mm-hmm. off the front page like if if right, this story right. could become like you know uh something that is no uh, yeah it dies down to the point where people aren't looking at his picture every second on the on Facebook and the internet and on CNN right. it once this becomes like a, a, a story of the past maybe in a month or two months then I could maybe take a chance with a wig and a fake beard or some way to yeah, no, like look, venture look how out. That,
0: how'd that go for? How'd that go for for uh, Peterson? Uh, right, you know. but, right. but let, let's put it this way: maybe the guy, maybe you should check on your followers, the people that are getting advice for retirement from you, because this guy may be looking at your website, figuring out how he can retire <laughs> and uh, and use Bitcoin or you know, right. the Jim Paris method of, of re- retiring. He may, he may actually be one of your followers. But sorry on a serious note though. Yeah, no that's not going to work out for him. I mean, there's some cases of of some real amazing uh I, well, I shouldn't use that uh, that word but some, some criminals that were very clever that managed to evade the police for, for such a long time like John List for example, the guy that killed his whole family and then went and created a whole new existence for himself and lived for years before um they finally found him. But they did find him. And and that was really pre all of the technology we have these days. So again, I'm going to, I'm sticking to my story. This guy, if he's not dead, he's going to get caught. He's going to do something stupid. Do you remember that kid some couple years back, maybe longer than that now. And and I forgot the word they used for him, but they were basically his defense in, in a, in a drunk driving, uh, uh, manslaughter case. He was a really rich kid. And they they had this word and I can't think of it right now, but they were actually blaming the fact that he was rich. That was an excuse. Right. Right. You know, for for what he did. And um, it was a kind of a cute uh, word they made up for it. I can't think of it now, but um, basically that kid had all the, the beans. You know, he had the rich family. And how long did he last? You know, he he looked like he was 12 years old, and he had grown this big poncho via mustache. <laughs> and I don't remember where he was, but yeah, I think he was maybe in Mexico. Yeah. But I mean, he looked like a kid wearing a fake mustache, and and he was supposed to be a a smart you know a smart kid, and he had all the the money in the world behind him and Yeah, and his, i couldn't. think it was his he mother that was
1: also like arrested along with him or, or something like that mm-hmm. um all mm-hmm. right so so my final question before we get into the the i want to talk a little bit about the uh, the jack the ripper case as well uh but in this case um you know is there a time window i i mean is there such a thing as like you know, you mentioned the 48 hours, which I know is sort of, you know, the the uh, web sleuths yes. always, you know, because that's what one of the TV shows is called. Is there right, a time right. window like if we don't get him within like, you know, two weeks, it's, you know, the odds of getting him go down to like one percent or something like that. I mean, yes. is there is there a time window of weeks or months that that he
0: gains the upper hand? Well, let's put it this way. You know, the the cliche or whatever you want to call it, the first 48 hours, absolutely those are the prime hours to, to solve a crime. Or, or, you know, more like to solve it, not necessarily to nab the guy, but to to get the clues necessary. And, and as the case deteriorates, it becomes more and more difficult to solve. That's an old axiom. But those are just the prime hours. But as I said before, homicides, you know, first of all, there's no statute of limitation on murder. That's why Jack the Ripper's case in my book is still open until I closed it. So, you know, homicides get solved years later um, in, in in the Ripper case, 133 years later. Today was a was a landmark in that case. But in any case, you know, there's a lot of good leads that come in in the first 48. But it, it, as I said before, it could be months before some cellmate of the guy comes forth, wants to make a deal with the cops. It, it could be some witness you know, recalling something years later or finally deciding to talk when somebody dies or somebody uh, breaks up and and then, and then you might get DNA on the person. You may have to stake them out to get that DNA and then it might take months to come back. So the 48 hour thing, it's not a myth, but I think it's maybe misconstrued uh, a little bit that, that it's, you know, it's hopeless once that 48 hour window passes.
1: Yeah. And and I think uh, as far as publicity, could there be any more publicity? I was just thinking, like, I guess if the Car- Kardashians and Caitlyn Jenner announced that they were in on the hunt, uh, maybe Kanye West as well, that could make it a little bit bigger. But I can't imagine any more publicity about this guy. Well, I mean, I, I would of, of I, anyone I on think... this earth, I would not want to be this guy right now.
0: Yeah, I don't think the Kardashians would get involved because, as I understand it, they don't they don't get anywhere near the laundry. <laughs> That's
1: a good one. Uh, you've always got that sorry, that, that, that that quick wit. All right. Uh, in, in the last couple of minutes here, uh, I you're a brilliant guy. Um, I love following you on social media. Always a lot of great stuff there. Um, but this book is is so fascinating. Okay. Um, Sherlock Holmes and the Autumn of Terror, and you solved the Jack the Ripper case, which clearly was the world's most famous cold case uh give us a couple minutes about i would, that. I would tell, us a, that. tell us a couple minutes uh about the book and uh any any developments that you want to share with us that may have uh you know happened i know there's this these ripperologists online that are constantly mm-hmm. debating who knows what on this case oh, yeah. what are your what are your uh, your latest right. thoughts and tell people about the book
0: well the, the the book sherlock holmes and the autumn of terror is basically a dramatization Um, of the investigation that I did with the aid of my three co-authors, which are these guys are the top on the planet, forensic scientists and uh, criminologists. We've we've got Dr. Michael Bodden, which a lot of people would recognize from the, you know, autopsy TV show on HBO, or they might remember him from um, the Michael Brown case. He was the uh, coroner in that case, or the hands up don't shoot case, or, or recently he's the second person to have autopsied Epstein to determine that he was in fact murdered. So that would be Dr. Biden. You see him a lot on Fox news and, you know, everywhere. And you know, a lot of these crime shows that I'm sure that your listeners watch, you'd recognize Dr. Biden. I also have Dr. Cyril H. Wecht, uh, forensic, forensic pathologist for Pittsburgh for many years, worked on so many cases from JFK, John Benet Ramsey, uh, Claus Von Bulow, just a He's another one that you know your listeners would absolutely recognize as soon as they saw his picture if they don't by his name. And then Dr. Henry C. Lee, um, Chinese-born uh, criminologist, CSI expert. He basically wrote the book on it, and he took center stage in the O.J. Simpson trial when he realized that there was some faulty blood evidence. So Dr. Henry Lee is also my co-author. So between them and their help and my own investigation – we came up with the idea to present it to the reader as a Sherlock Holmes novel rather than a, a dry sort of true crime account on Jack the Ripper, of which there are probably thousands, if not tens of thousands. So in order to sort of get more people, draw people to into the case, we, we wrote it as a Sherlock Holmes novel because all of us, all four of us were drawn into criminology and, and police work and forensics because of our interest in Sherlock Holmes and our interest in the Jack the Ripper case since we were kids. So it was kind of a no brainer for us to put those things together and do this novel. And I wrote it sort of in the style of Arthur Conan Doyle. I tried to be very true to his, uh, his writing style, his pacing. And we, what we did was we made in effect, whatever Sherlock Holmes does in this book is kind of what I did in a sense. And what The Dr. Watson character and a few other characters in the book that are doctors based upon my co-authors, what they do to help Holmes is basically what my doctors did to help me. So what we did was we presented the case in a more, I would like to think, entertaining way, but yet still putting the facts across and presenting them in the way that we see uh, the crime was committed. Crimes were committed.
1: And it's a fascinating book that you won't be able to put down. And uh, it's available. You can get it as uh, a Kindle also. A lot of our people uh, love the Kindle mm-hmm. version. Um, is that one available on audio as well? Did you say that it was or no?
0: It is it, and it isn't. It isn't. Um, what I did was during the pe- beginning of the pandemic, um, when a lot of people were, were cooped up in their homes, what I did was I recorded the book myself. And I, I read it aloud chapter by chapter and I presented it on my Facebook page. The book has its own Facebook page, Sherlock Holmes in the Autumn of Terror. And I would release a chapter a day of, of me reading the book. And I got some friends that are good with, you know, with uh, media and they sort of made a nice intro for it. And I had a British friend of mine do the, the intro speech on it. And then I read it and I don't try to fake a British accent there were a couple of points of the book where it absolutely needed a British reader. So I got friends from England to read those portions of the book, but for the most part, the reader just kind of has or the listener kind of has to imagine for themselves uh, that it's Holmes talking or Watson speaking with a British accent. Cause I read it in my own accent. And, and when I, I do the parts where the actual ripper, I should say rippers as there were three of them working for a fourth man, um, when they speak, I begin sort of the beginning of the chapter saying w- with a pseudo Russian or Polish accent and then I slip back into my own voice hmm. and then I end the chapter back in this fake accent. So it'll you know, I'll say it was a very rainy night when this began, and then I'll go and read the rest oh, of it cool. in my own voice. And then the, And
1: is that so, still so available on that. your is that still on yeah. your oh, Facebook yeah. page? Okay, so if people yeah, go if to Facebook, Facebook
0: page and, and you, they
1: just search for Sherlock Holmes and the Autumn of Terror, that's what they would search for to find your Facebook page? Yep,
0: yes. And then on that page, if you did a search and you just searched the word audio book, um, you would find or search the word recap. Because what I did was besides doing one a day with a bunch of supplementary pictures, you know, the first chapter, as you're listening to it, you could be clicking through these pictures and seeing the pictures that back up the story. Um, But besides doing that, I also did a recap post a couple of times where I posted the entire book chapter by chapter in one big post that you can just click down the line chapter by chapter, or you can follow it on the page a day at a time and just listen to one chapter and click along the pictures, you know, and you see prime scene photos or or drawings of homes or, um, you know, different things that would pertain to the case, newspaper clippings. And they would just—you can just kind of click as you as you're listening and and follow along.
1: Wow, very very interesting. So if you want to find not just his Sherlock Holmes book, but also his incredible collection of of books on the martial arts as well, he has a huge page over at Amazon.com. So you go to Amazon, type in Randy Williams, you'll probably see that Sherlock Holmes book will pop up first. Then just click on. Randy Williams, which will be highlighted, and that'll take you to his page over at Amazon, which has just a ton of stuff if you're interested in the Sherlock Holmes book, the Jack the Ripper case, or any of his martial art books, and a fun guy to follow on social media. And there are links also on his Amazon page to his blog as well. And Randy Williams, thanks so much for being with us. You're a fascinating guy, and uh, we'll have you back again uh, from time to time. God bless, sir. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Welcome. Our pleasure. Thank you. Interesting guy. And if you go on his Amazon page, he's got the Sherlock Holmes pipe also, which I I love that. I love, you know, he's actually kind of almost become Sherlock Holmes, uh, you know, and it's a great book. It's if you love true crime and you love crime novels it's sort of a combination of the best of those two things and uh, he really did it he solved the jack the ripper case after 130 years Uh fascinating guy and good friend of mine on social media thanks so much for joining us next week is a best of remember if it's sunday night it's jim Paris live so long everybody talk to you next time